0: Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of the Connext podcast. In today's episode, RTI's healthcare expert, David Nowolny, interviews Tracy Rausch. Tracy is co-founder of DocBox, an innovative company developing an advanced clinical process management solution for hospitals. We'll discuss the importance of interoperability and how it's fundamental when integrating medical devices for scale. Tracy will also share her perspective on what the global healthcare industry will look like in the next five to 10 years. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Why did you start DocBox? You know, what was kind of the defining moment? And, you know, how did you actually take that and turn it into something tangible?
2: So, yeah, so I started DocBox um, as I was working as a clinical systems engineer. And um, the problems that were arising, I couldn't find a technical solution to actually meet those problems. And, you know, as we moved through this and met with vendors and went through and started saying, these are my requests as my customer, I still couldn't get... The solutions we needed. And so DocBox actually came out of that frustration of trying to work with the vendors to, to make that work.
1: The fact that you have this overall problem, that there's a single person in the industry that does not see it, from the medical device vendors, from the healthcare providers, to the insurers. And from that aspect, from what I can tell, you're the only person doing anything about it. Would you say that's accurate?
2: I wouldn't say I was the only one doing about that. There's, there's a pretty big team of folks on the back end of this that are working on this from a research perspective um, on the safety critical piece of it and the cybersecurity piece of it and the, the other aspects of it. I've just, DocBox has been the fortunate beneficiary of, you know, about 30 to $40 million worth of funding. Of the R&D side of it, that we've moved it to that commercialization phase.
1: And really, when you're talking about that research, that's all the work that Dr. Julian Goldman and the Medical Device Plug-and-Play group uh, out of Mass right. General and Harvard has really contributed. So you kind of use that as a, a baseline
2: That's platform. the base. Um, Kansas State University has done a lot of work. University of Pennsylvania has done a lot of work. Uh, there's some other the other groups and entities um, around that have actually been part of this. I mean, there's also large chunks of government employed researchers who are actually working on this too, um, you know, at the FDA and the Army, you know, other aspects of it. So we're not the only (laughs) piece. We're just the top of the triangle um, right now on what this infrastructure should look like. so.
1: So, I mean, would you say of all that research, I mean, again, being kind of one of the only commercially available products today, that is out here really kind of taking this problem head on, taking the best of each of these. Do you call it a standard? I mean, to me, when you have a, a company moving forward with a, a product, it's much more of a product because, you know, you're not a consortia or a research organization or a group that's actually trying to put together an open standard. But at the same time, what you have very well could be.
2: I think the goal is that this does become a standard or something that looks like this. I think once it goes out into the wild, it's going to change again. I mean, we, we've we never claimed that we've got this right to start with. We've got that foundational piece. There's a lot of stuff that has to be added. So once we put this out here, then people can actually start to work on the hard
1: problems. Okay. Interesting. One of the things that I have grasped is DDS is core to overall, the, the offering that you put together. I mean, you right. mentioned during your talk today, you were talking about, you know, the, uh, I don't know if you called it the data bus. I mean, we call it the layered data bus, but basically right. it showed the same sort of layered data bus model right. that we have. And it definitely seems like that's, you know, core to your product. Can you talk a little bit about how that's being implemented?
2: Um, yeah. So we generate this, what we call the ice bus. That's one bus, one domain for every patient is how we look at that and how we, we move that going forward. And then if you want to scale, you just add more ices um, to your to your system and your environment. So that's really been that foundation. And one of the big reasons why it's so important is you, as any individual component of the system, doesn't know what your information is going to be used for. And you don't know who's going to need your information. So you have to have a many-to-many communication relationship you can't have a peer-to-peer relationship and so that's that why that bus is the foundational piece is that if you're a medical device you don't know what the intended use of that data is going to be once it leaves your system and you can't predict that Um, and that's been one of the challenges of being able to implement this stuff is that traditionally you've had to know what it was intended to be used for and the technologies move way past that and we just have to catch up.
1: That's fantastic to hear. I mean, it's definitely something that I think DDS as a core technology has been used in a lot of other industries. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming, you know, you tasked your team to go out and take a look at all of the available technologies that could do this many to many communication for this secure interoperable framework. Is it accurate to say that, you know, you guys looked at everything that was readily available and DDS was really what rose to the top?
2: Yeah, and the way that happened is I told my software guy, I said, look, here's the requirements. Go find me the piece that works. And after about two weeks, he came back and said, and you have to remember, this is 2011. Yep. He came back and said, hey, there's this thing called DDS. Are you interested in looking at it? And I I said, okay, let's go through it. And I said, okay, this is interesting. The the, the piece that drew me to it initially was the ability for quality of service because we knew we had to go to being able to do control. And so I knew that I was going to have to have certain pieces of the system that were best effort, whereas another piece of the system was going to have to have, uh, you know, on demand, you know, that harder timing issues of what's going on, you know, and that was really the start of it. You know, I will say in 2011, we were pretty naive of what the system was going to look like at the time, I think, as anything you could develop going forward. But, um, you know, that that was that key piece of it that, um, you know, really what drew me to it. But then, you know, there was all these other things. I think something interesting also is the data-centric piece of it is really how physicians think. And it's very counterintuitive to most engineers. And they all think
1: database, database, well, they database, think message,
2: structured message, data back and forth. Whereas a doctor says I need a heart rate and a blood pressure and a respiratory. So it it's actually somewhat intuitive. If you spend the time with on the physician side and the clinician side, they think in parameters, they don't think in device and mm-hmm. device message world. So this, that data centric piece, it wasn't something in the front of our mind, but later on you know i kind of put that together say wait a second we're this is actually the same thinking of how they solve problems and how they they look at stuff
1: i guess in terms of the technology i think we all see you know the fact that you have interoperable you know secure essentially doctor in a box that can now align all of these multiple vendors uh you know benefit to the overall industry what do you see those benefits all right. I know you've done some homework on that.
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is is that doctors have to be able to solve their own problems. They're going to be the answers to these solutions. There's no team of engineers that's going to be able to go into a clinic or understand medicine in a way that, you know, someone who spent 8, 10, 12 years in medical school and 20 years of experience. I mean, that's, that's the information we want to get into the box. It's not what's in your medical school books. It's when a doctor walks in the room and knows what's wrong, you know, it's that intuition piece that you've got to get in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the doctors are going to be the ones who be able to solve that problem. And so we have to enable them to innovate. And right now they've been locked out of their data. They've been locked out of their information. So it's freeing up this information and this data for them to do the work. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they've been doing this work since the eighties mm-hmm. and they've all hit a roadblock because they don't have good quality, synchronized, contextually aware data.
1: You coming from that clinical environment, seeing standing next to the doctors, working with them, you've actually seen that physical pain. I think, right. you know, myself from the outside, you look at this and you start seeing more or less the, the high level facts of third leading cause of death being medical error. And I think you showed a couple examples of real medical error happening in a, a clinical environment. And then you also mentioned today, just the amount of time that clinicians spend entering data. And I can understand that's not only frustrating for a clinician, but also if I was running that hospital, I'd be really frustrated that the highest paid people on my staff are spending all this time essentially entering data. So, I mean, there's got to be a huge cost savings as well as, you know, just from a humanity aspect, saving lives is is huge as well.
2: Right. And I think it goes back to the doctors and the nurses are innovative people in themselves and they're going to innovate their way I mean they innovate their way out of workarounds and problems now <laughs> give them the right tools to innovate to fix their own problems and they're going to go do it and so that's you know really where the focus of this has been is that you know there's this large community of researchers who are already doing real-time decision support you know AI and machine learning is not new to the medical field um, you know I think it was called neural networks before that's yeah. the, <laughs> the story of where it went you know they've they picked this stuff up You know, as soon as it comes off, uh, you know, out the first piece of it, you know, you know that they're doing it. I think most people would be surprised that there's a large chunk of doctors who all know how to write code. You know, they they move down that pathway. That's what's going to move the industry forward is the fact that you've got two or three different medical institutions all saying, you know what, this is the newest algorithm to do this. This is the best way to do this. This is the new gold standard. This is the data. But the other piece of it is then they have to be able to scale that solution. And that scaled solution comes with an infrastructure that lets them do that.
1: And that's really what you see yourself providing is mm-hmm. that kind of baseline infrastructure. All of that said, I think this market definitely has the ability to grow and be significant. I mean, if you're really selling a, a box per hospital room, right? you're looking at the number of hospital beds, hospital rooms, really globally. I mean, it's exceptionally large. So, I mean, do you see any other competitors In your space, do you expect competitors to play in this space?
2: I think the best way to answer it is I hope there's competitors that play in that space because that means adoption has actually started to occur. Um, And I think you're going to see that innovation. You're going to see a new market of software as medical devices and the ability to, to do that and deploy that. If every single algorithm developer, every single person has to worry about building their infrastructure first, it takes off the innovation piece uh 40 to 50% of the grant money is just to get the data. This is a challenge that they're all dealing with and you know I want to emphasize it's not just your electronic medical record data. There's context and there's physiological waveforms and there's all this other information that comes together to be this really big story of medical data that's available.
1: And that's really what you're providing yes. is the medical data. And then from that you're hoping the ecosystem develops. I guess my you know to kind of reword that question, I mean, do you see You know, any competitors in that space in terms of trying to capture that medical data?
2: Um, I think there's some folks that are capturing it. That's not the interesting piece of this. I, You know, this is they've all been able to capture the medical data. It's knowing how to scale it and deploy it and make it useful is what the, the biggest key piece of this comes into play. And we're talking about different pieces of medical data, too. There's your billing codes and your billing data and your reimbursement and your actuarial and your statistics and, your, you know, the, the stuff that's publicly available from CMS and all of that stuff. That's one yep. set of data. And then there's this other set of data of what's actually about the patient. That's what's happening. And then the third set of data is the emerging set of the genomics and Yeah. And the three of these actually are the complete data set. You know, we're not saying we're the complete data set. All three of these tell the story of that patient's history through their care, tells them their story of their care. That's the complete medical record of that patient. It's not the physiological data. It's not the billing data. It's it's a combination of the two of what is that story, how did they get to provide care, because there's research questions that happen all the way through those steps, you know, why did they make that decision to give that drug, or why did they get make that decision to to do this? Was it a was it an insurance decision? Was it a medical decision? Was it a availability decision? Like you, we don't know the answers to these questions, and it's going to be really hard to study what's the best care if you don't have this whole story. And that's the pieces we're trying to add our piece of that whole story. But the thing is, is that no one of these can be proprietary. They have to be open and they have to be available because the answer is going to come from not one entity. It's going to come from the community actually innovating. You need all three of these pieces of data. There's not competing. We're not trying to take over one or the other. This is just a gap that's sitting in that patient record. And, and this data may or may not belong in the traditional electronic medical record you know, five days worth of EKG waveform is probably not useful to the history of that patient. But in certain instances, it might be. There's no physician who's going to get a patient record and it's, you know, four or five terabytes of data and they're going to go through minute by minute the EKG, but they may learn from that data. And that's the, you know, where's how is it being used? Where is it going? What does it look for is really the key.
1: It's a standard IoT problem. It's like yeah, gather all right. the data. Once you have all the data, you look at it, figure out, what to do with it. And right. we're kind of now in that really you know early phase. With the IoT, we're starting to gather data, but we still have all these proprietary systems. And we really don't have that full story. So once we get the full story and all of the, the, the data to play with... Now we can actually start making sense of it, but what you're saying is we're really not even there yet, or we're starting to crack the surface.
2: Yeah, we're not even close to being there yet. There's so much we don't know that you can't know what your data is going to be used for because you know if this data starts to become available, you're going to see this rapid increase in innovation in healthcare, and there really hasn't been disruption in healthcare since the mid '80s. You know, the mid '80s into the early '90s, there hasn't been any. Earth-shattering, groundbreaking new piece of technology that's hit the market that's changed my medicine's practice.
1: I've been involved in technology and healthcare now for you know right around the same amount of time, fifteen years, and you know I thought the holy grail was connected medical devices. So you know, connecting them via Ethernet, connecting them via Wi-Fi, and then you had wireless sensors. And honestly, it's kind of what brought me to RTI was you got to the point where you found out connectivity was really just the start. I mean all, you start connecting these devices and you can now capture the data, but you still don't have full data sets you don't have that interoperability
2: interoperability has morphed into a marketing term it hasn't morphed into what it actually means and in healthcare it's a it's a safety issue, yep and it's a data analysis issue and it's, you know, another piece of data. I can take all of this data. I mean, I've done it since the beginning of my career of taking all this data and throwing it in a database and you can do that for 10 patients and you could come up with a new algorithm and you can analyze it. That's been going on for, you know, for the beginning of time for medicine. But how do you take that solution and scale it over you know, 5,000 beds, 10,000 beds. How do you do that? Well, that's where the interoperability comes into play and that you have to be able to do this at scale because that's how you iterate on that algorithm. And right now, you know, an algorithm, it's seven to 10 years to come into the market because of not having interoperability. And by the time it gets to market... There's already four other ones in literature that are better than that algorithm, and that's the you know. And so if you look back at that and you think about that, is that's how fast researchers are innovating. And our technology is not keeping up with them, and we've got to give the hospital the tools to be able to swap out to a new algorithm. Mm. You know, they and do it the way they've you know, oddly do it the way they've always done it. Peer-reviewed, best practices, gold standard, innovation. And to move forward to do the next thing, because it's not a widget in a technology. It's not a consumer product that you're going to buy the next generation in two years. I mean, this is, you know, medical devices have a life cycle of, you know, five to seven years. And, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, safety critical, mission critical pieces of technology. And you, you have to treat that with that respect. And I think the biggest thing is I always remind people is you are a patient. So think about, would you want this connected to you? Would you want this moving forward? And I think that's the biggest key. If you, when you start to think of it that way, you, you, know, you take a little bit of a step back and say, okay, we need to you know, make sure we have this
1: correct. Definitely seems like a, the, the forefront of a real big inflection point you know, within the healthcare industry. And it seems like you're kind of leading that charge. I guess kind of looking at the, the old guard, which is the medical device companies, how do they view DocBox?
2: We have relationships with a lot of them, and we, um, you know, they actually want to work with us because they they have the same problem. I think people don't realize that, you know, no one vendor makes everything, so they always want somebody else's data, and it's really hard for two competitive vendors to say, "I'm going to share data," mm-hmm. but it's really easy if they're both talking to a third neutral entity to say, oh no, I'm going to give you both the same data that's available. So they have intellectual property. They have algorithms that they can't get into the market because they're running into the same problem as everybody else. I mean, your little vendors have a bigger challenge than your larger vendors, but they all have the same problem when you get down to it, is that they're they're landlocked with their own information. But that's not the full contextual picture of what's going on. And so they can't get to where they want to go because they don't have the they don't have enough information to actually move to the next level.
1: Interesting. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely solving a problem for them as well.
2: I hope so. And as I said, this, this is a community, you know, this is to bring all of the innovation to the table. There's a lot of great algorithms out there. There's a lot of it's it's there. It's available. It's been, you know, it's been developed over the last 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. And we need to move that into the market to advance it.
1: A lot of what you've you've mentioned, I mean, it's Exceptionally inspirational. I mean, someone coming from a a clinical perspective, seeing the problem firsthand, being frustrated enough with it to go out, tackle it, solve it. But, you know, what what you have created is a a business. So I guess that's one thing we haven't hit on is business model. I mean, in terms of who are truly your end customers? I mean, we talked about hospitals. We just talked about, you know, potentially medical device companies having access to that data. What are the type of business models that you see DocBox moving into or the industry moving into?
2: Our major customer is the provider. That's the key. You know, how do we provide them the best technology available to solve their problems? And how do we allow them to have that and actually grow with it? Um, We know this market's not fixed. We know this market's going to be very, it's going to change very rapidly. Um, You know, even if new algorithms were every three years instead of every seven years, that would be a huge acceleration, which I know I'm sitting in Silicon Valley, the tech world is laughing at me at this point when I say that. I mean, we're used to a six-month tech turnover cycle. I'm talking about a seven-year seven to 10 year tech turnover cycle right now. Like we got, just shortening that is a big, is a big deal as go forwards. So I think we have that piece of it. I think we also have this untapped value of data in healthcare to solve medical problems, to solve efficiency problems, to solve operational problems. And those problems all have their own different business models and markets as they go forward and they move to do this. And I think the really cool thing is, is it's really the same set of data that solves all three of those problems. So our, you know, ideally, you know, we're that infrastructure and that platform, we're an app developer, and we're going to become a data company. Um, And that's the three pieces of this that, you know, we will move through. And that's been the strategy for the company to go forward is those three aspects of it.
1: Well, definitely seems like a way to make an impact across many different areas of an industry that, you know, definitely could use the help.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, the passion behind this is you know, I was on that other side. I, you know, I think my heart and soul is still on the provider side. And so (laughs) um, I, I, the two worlds don't have to be in conflict with each other is what they currently are. They, they actually can work in parallel and partnership. It's a relationship between the two is, is bringing that engineering and that technology and meet those clinicians halfway to solve their problems instead of the forcing of saying, Hey, here's a new widget, here's a new tool, here's a new piece. It's no, let's, let's understand this from a system standpoint and, and, put the solutions in place with the right technology to go forward and do it. And I think it's going to change. I mean, there's going to be new sensors. There's going to be new new devices. There's going to be new visualizations. I mean, we haven't changed our central station visualization since inception. We haven't changed our user interfaces of devices since inception. I mean, this is the mid-'80s. This is what I'm saying, that innovation has not occurred in this health industry since the mid to mid 80s, to early 90s. And, you know, that's, that's a long cycle for any sort of disruption to come into the market.
1: So I guess looking into your crystal ball, I mean, how do you see the next five to 10 years? I mean, you talk about refresh cycles that, you know, are going, we'll say seven to you know, up to 15 years. Do you see that moving much more quickly now? I mean, do you see DocBox? obviously, you're starting to gain some traction? How do you see you know, adoption globally.
2: So I think adoption globally is going to call in a couple of places. One, um, the emerging markets are going to leapfrog the non-emerging markets because they're green pastures, and so they're moving in with what is the right technology, what is the place. You know, you're adding hundreds of thousands of beds a year in these markets, you know, they have a lack of staff, they don't have a lack of patients, their technology is savvy enough. I mean, the world is, you know, evolving that way. So they can adopt those new pieces in those solutions. So that's going to be one area that, you know, was important. And I think the crystal ball is, you know, there's 5 billion people without healthcare in the world, we need to bring healthcare to them. Um, you know, that's an altruistic goal of this and how you look at it. But that infrastructure and that platform, the hardware is going to evolve to whatever the need is for. Um, but we use off-the-shelf components, so we're not we don't have custom you know, PCs, we don't have, you know, everything is you know off-the-shelf, so we can rapidly switch out technology, which is one of the things that hasn't been able to be done in the past. Um, and as you add applications, you completely change the platform. So if I'm in a cardiac ICU and I go to a medical surgery ICU, I mean those are a completely different set of apps. We can change that out without actually changing any of the hardware. This moves this capital intensive, hardware intensive industry to software by shared resources and shared components and as their information as you look and go forward to do that. It's all the same dock box infrastructure, and then the hospital can pick and choose the app. So they can pick the best and breed. Right. Let them pick the best algorithm on the market. Let them install two different algorithms and run them head-to-head head and the test area. them and understand what's going on. Let yeah. them pick the best sensors and test them. And when we do this with our cell phones, we do this with our appliances, we do why this with everything that? else that we buy, why would we not do this for the most important thing that you have to do, which is taking care of your health and your life? <laughs> we can't do that right now. We can't put these head-to-head tests and say, no, the sensor is actually better than that sensor. There's no way to actually do that right now.
1: All of that definitely makes sense. I think, you know, one of the things is healthcare is one of the most highly regulated industries out there. Uh, so you know, getting to three, four, six month, you know, refresh cycles, I think could be quite challenging. I think one of the things that I've seen, you know, the FDA has now put in place a digital health unit. They've been in place now for a couple of years. Uh, I know, you know, Dr. Goldman has has talked or worked and consulted with them on both cybersecurity and I think in in some forms of interoperability. Do you see that as being kind of a key driver for improving these refresh cycles?
2: Um, I think it's going to be a key driver, but I think we have to look. The regulatory science has always been part of this work. It's been part of this work from day one. We're engineering in the safety instead of using it as an afterthought. And that's one of the things where the consumer digital health world has, you know, it's the the FDA has always been the barrier to entry. And that's really not the case. It's build good software, do it under a quality system. You know, and it does. It takes longer. There's more testing required. But Mm -hmm. it's that's not the seven year issue. Companies need to relook at what's the regulatory pathway. What's the science behind this? How do you get a safe and effective system? Because that's really down to the key is how do you build a safe and effective clinical system? Not so much. Well, I got to get through the FDA. Um, And when you look at it from that perspective, then you add additional functional requirements to the system. But the platform has been designed with that aspect in mind. I mean, DocBox's commercial entity, you know, is based on, you know, several years of regulatory science research that's occurred through academic researchers and other things of how do you actually build a system to do that? And, you know, and then how do you, how do you educate the community on how you actually get this going forward? And that's, you know, that's one of the key things that, you know, we've been federally funded. And so that's part of that work is what's the regulatory science behind that? But the regulatory science actually started before the platform design in DocBox. Okay. And so, which is a different approach, but it's not bad. It's just, you have to think about this piece because everybody says, well, it's just a sensor. What can that impact? Well, where does that sensor data go? What decisions being made with that sensor data? are you sure that data is correct? You know, those start to become, and then everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That needs to be, there's a regulatory piece of that. I'm like, well, you're part of that ecosystem. So you have to be a good actor. I think people compare it to say, well, you know, healthcare and patient safety or aviation, it's the same thing, or it's manufacturing process. And you've got to do the engineering to where it fits into healthcare. You can't, you know, so many people want to force fit this stuff into healthcare to say, well, it should just translate. It's a one-to-one and it's, it's It's not a one to one i mean you you there is an art to medicine, and you have to respect that there's still an art to medicine and and part of that comes from the optimistic side of me is there's an art to medicine because we don't know everything yet, and therefore there's this the the art piece of it, and that art piece is going to be there forever, like we're never going to understand everything and so
1: Until you're able to tie that genomic data plus all the patient data, all of that pieces. But then
2: there's this other humanity approach to this, of this interaction with the patient and how does the environment impact how you care and this whole other, you know, you know, nurture piece of this that how that impacts care. Eastern
1: medicine meets Western medicine. Right, We
2: just don't know the answers to all of these questions. And so, you know, you have to respect that there's this art and the the technology has to meet that art somewhere in the middle. The science is going to have to work in parallel with this because we're, it's a complex system, we're analyzing. And we're not at the end yet. And we may never be at the end yet. And so it's not physics. It's not chemistry. It's a combination of all of it. You know, it's electrical signals, it's chemistry, it's, you know, physical components, it's, it's mechanics, it's, you know, there's all these aspects that are all thrown together, we're a really complex system. And so, you know, we have to have some respect. And, there's no blueprint. <laughs> we did not come with manuals. We did not come. With, so we're reverse engineering the system. And so, you know, we're not going to understand all the pieces quite right yet.
1: And mind you, we're all built different. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, your physiological data is Probably pretty darn close. That's the key. You're running on this system. So we're reverse engineering a system that we're trying to understand to be able to act on that system. And we have to have that respect for that, this industry and the entity that it has. So yes, all this other technology can come in from all these other industries and we should, we should be adopting it. And you're bringing it into, into the culture. You're bringing it into the, the art. You're bringing it into the thousands of years of history of medicine, which I don't think any other technology industry actually has that long of a history of what medicine has. And so, you know, it's that art, science, technology, and you got to balance the three.
1: It's really a different look. And again, I think it's where it puts you in such a great position, working side by side and seeing that rather than having outsiders from outside the industry come in and try to solve your problems.
2: Yeah, clinicians aren't very good at expressing their requirements. Um, they don't think that way, they don't think linearly, they don't think, they don't. you know, A doesn't solve B, which is C, because they're dealing with the human body, so A plus B can be, you know, 2, 4, and 7, depending on the situation, and they learn from practice, they learn from repetition, they learn from, you know, understanding how they learn, how the clinician actually operates, you know, what does the clinician actually do, is the, really the key, it's not just understanding the science behind the, the disease or the practice. And that's the two pieces that, you know, you have to meet somewhere in the middle of the two.
1: In my experience, you know, when you're taking a product through the FDA, it generally needs to be a, you know, complete system. Hardware, you know, lower-level driver software with the application. So it's basically solving a problem has a bunch of data on top of it. So when we're talking about moving to a much more app-based world and, you know, potentially you could have different pieces of hardware that this is living on. Do you have any idea you know, how the FDA is going to handle that, or is that another challenge that you know, we need to overcome?
2: I think part of that's been a misnomer. The FDA has accepted off-the-shelf computing devices now for a decade. So you set requirements and you say, these are the minimum requirements I need. You show that those requirements are met and they're absolutely, that's, that's normal. Um, the mobile medical app guidance actually is the first piece of guidance that actually decoupled these two. If you actually look at what it says. Um, because it's saying mobile, people assume that means your phone. And there's been substantial work. Um, Dr. Goldman actually worked with MDIS and others for a community-wide de novo submission after an FDA meeting in 2010 about device interoperability that they had a meeting. They've went through a de novo filing of a a non a platform-based medical device to actually do that. So that process was actually done with the community, You know, several vendors involved, several academic institutions involved. They went through that filing process with the FDA mm-hmm. as a research project. They filed pre-submissions, they had formal meetings, they got the response. It's all publicly available information. They're looking at risk, they're looking at efficacy. You can follow what you need to do for any of those. There are standards that help you. There's other things. But it's really how you want to prove to them that you have that risk. I always encourage people to use the pre-submission process with the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go in. You can ask them questions. Um, you know, you don't have to have everything done before you go in and have that conversation, but you have to be open to understanding their side of the piece because their side of the piece is how do I make sure this is safe for the public and how do I make sure this is effective? That's their goal and that's the pathway they go down. And so they have the ability to question, how are you going to make sure you, this is how this works? Um, listen to what they have to tell you and you may not like what they have to tell you, but they're going to tell you what you should do and how it should go forward. You know, and we, we've we been through um, three pre-submissions with the FDA. I mean, we went in and said, is this what you meant? Is this what you want to look at? Is this is how this is going to do this? This is our approach to doing this going forward. Um, open, transparent, which has not always been the case. You know, people lock up and don't want to talk to them. And, you know, as I said, our platform is open, and that means a regulatory piece of this is open, too. Like, you know, the infrastructure, it's a big value add, but it's not the secret sauce. The secret sauce comes into all the different applications.
1: I'd say for any of our listeners out there, there was some pretty solid advice in terms of, uh, you know, any software products, apps, or even uh, hardware devices going to market. You know, going yeah. through that pre-submission process sounds exceptionally right. useful. Right.
2: And, you know, and they've just announced that they're going to put a, a pre-certification process in place. You know, they've got their pilot companies and, you know, they're moving in that direction. You know, I think everybody understands that medical devices are becoming software um, if they're not already software. People may not think they're moving fast enough, or they're not doing this, but this is a really complicated problem. And I think you hear so frequently, "Well, they didn't let us do X," and I don't understand why they didn't let us do Y. Until you turn around and say, "Would you put this on your child? Would you put this on your family member? Would you wear this yourself? Would you depend on this information?" Um, and that's where all of a sudden you you think, "Okay, wait a second. This is a this is a safety critical system. We need to do this correctly." Um, you know, there's enough in history where this. Didn't go correctly, that you know has hurt or injured folks or people, and there's a reason why this stuff is in place.
1: I mean, same thing we we're talking about with autonomous vehicles. I mean, we're trying to really put a system in place that is better than any driver out there, right? And I think we're really looking to do the exact same thing with healthcare and medical, and this is really just it. DocBox provides that enabling technology to make right. that happen.
2: And the people who are going to make that happen are are actually the clinicians themselves. They have to translate this knowledge. It's not in a database somewhere. It's not in a medical school book. It's literally them. (laughs) So the best
1: cardiac surgeons in the world are going to be coming back with new apps that are going to help better track any sort of cardiac issues.
2: Right. How do they take this? How do they they deduce their reasons? Mm-hmm. How do they do their differential diagnosis? Um, and that's the key piece of this. Is we can't do it any other way because that's been medicine for the last you know two thousand years. Doctors train other doctors, who train other doctors, who train other doctors. You know, and the amount of information that a doctor with thirty years experience, what they had in medical school, is not the same thing, but how you actually diagnose and provide care. And it's by repetition and it's handed down from physician to physician. And that's the key piece of this as, you know, and there's always that physician that says, we can do this better. Why don't we try X? And then they hand it down to their people and their folks. And that becomes a change in standard. But, you know, it's a, iterative and generational process that we're trying to extract that information to understand what are they seeing. And I think the key is that, you know, it's not just the doctors. You know, you have a a nurse who actually is the one who uses our system more than anybody else. It's the nurse who's doing the documentation. It's the nurse that's that's doing the heavy lifting to carry the orders, care for that patient and do those things. But how is that nurse who walks into shift and can tell you which patients she's going to have problems with? There is a reasoning behind that. So it's not just, you know, you know, decoupling and understanding the doctor. It's also the nurse and understanding what decisions they make, what are they doing, when they know there's an issue, you know, because you have a skilled ICU nurse. She can tell you everything. When you walk in the room, she can just look at you and know, you know what? There's something wrong. Now, why can she look at you and tell you there's something wrong? There's nothing that tells her that besides experience. And how do you actually figure out what that is? It's not about... Uh, going and talking to that nurse and saying, well, how did you do that?
1: If you want to break it out to ones and zeros, I mean, you're right. Her brain is looking at that, and she's like, I've seen this so many times. And when I see it, this is, you know, what's happening.
2: And so the key is that, that means there's data there. Yep. And so we've got to get that data. She's operating on something. Um, and But we just don't know what that combination is, and that's what we have to find.
1: And the exciting thing is I think that's just the first phase, because I think what's so cool about getting access to all this data is – once you have access to it, you'll start seeing interactions that the human mind can't even comprehend. I mean, when right, you start Right, but they having... may
2: do it subconsciously because of experience. You just don't know why you leap from A to B. You just know you've done it before. we got to figure out why you leap from A to B. That's, you know, that's the long-term future of this is enabling this infrastructure that can innovate, can move these apps, you know, can generate new applications, can generate new ways to do this. So when you see that doctor right out of medical school... Um, versus that doctor that 's been done thirty years ago, they do things different it 's not that some of them are better than the guy who 's been doing it thirty years ago he 's got more information, but they don 't think and program and read the exact same way so we 've got to understand those differentiators too of that young physician looks at things differently than the older physician and who 's right we don't know. Um, We don't have any data to know which one's right anyway. So, um, you know, that's the piece of this that we have to go through and look at is, you know, based on their background of information, how they figure things out. And that's what this data is going to be able to do. But it all comes down to being able to collect the data in a way that you can actually analyze it and look at it and leverage it to start to figure this stuff out.
0: And that's exactly what you and DocBox are doing.
2: That's the goal. (laughs) Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Connext podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode where we talk to RTI's principal applications engineer, Sonder Mertens, about benchmarking the performance of Connects DDS versus open source DDS. If you have any questions or suggestions for future interviews, please be sure to reach out to us either on social media or at podcast at rti.com. Thanks and have a great day.